0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, and I am talking on this episode. I'm with Mike Moynihan, actually excerpted from his uh, Golden Age of Cardboard episode. It's a podcast, but also on YouTube, so you get a chance to catch him either way. First, thanks sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, Comcy.com, now connected to eBay in a more direct way, Burbank Sports Cards, Now doing shows. Uh Mike Stadium Sports Cards, now affiliated with the Triple Cards and Lawrence here in this area. Huggins and Scott, now a division of REA Auctions and Heritage Auctions, which just had its biggest year ever in 2020 tops, now owned by Fanatics, Upper Deck, doing a great job with hockey and many other things. And then Panini with a lot of my friends over there who are resolving uh, this complicated marketplace. So thanks, sponsors. Mike and I talked in this particular episode about Strongsville Show, which Strongsville, when I went to in the very early days, maybe in the first Strongsville Show— the, since the promoters were vintage, it, it always had a vintage flavor, but they've really doubled down and leaned into the vintage aspect of try to make it the preeminent, purely vintage show. It's certainly a candidate for that. There's other shows that have great vintage, but that's what you get at Strongsville, and you get people behind the table, very knowledgeable. So I, I really enjoy it. It was a drive for me when I lived in Bowling Green, but since I've been in Texas, I'm sure I flew up there a bunch of times back in the 80s, 90s maybe even, but not so much lately. And then we talked about grading. All these people that I excerpt, it doesn't mean don't listen to the main show. It means, yes, listen to that, but I'm going to give you high points, and I hope that encourages you to subscribe to Mike's channel. He had Nat Turner on a couple weeks before he had me on. I had listened to it, and so I knew. And I have a lot of respect for Nat as a hobbyist who's done well and really wants to make a difference in this hobby. And he, I think it's an industry, but it's also a hobby for him, and I think that's to his credit. So we talked about PSA and other graders, including BGS, and how I see things and how things might be. Thanks, Mike, for hosting me, and thanks, everybody else, for listening. And here's my conversation with Mike, led by Mike. Cleveland is the city that has Strongsville, actually a suburb, but in Strongsville, that is the premier vintage card show that really uh, has some level of requirement for display of vintage cards. And so Cleveland is a very strong vintage presence, so you may find that at this national, a stronger vintage group. Again, all that is good.
1: Have you been to Strongsville
0: before? I used to go every year because it was so concentrated. It was an old school show. It was in an old Holiday Inn. Everybody had six-foot tables, and they had their stuff out there. It was strongly vintage. The original partners that started it all were vintage collectors.
1: This year, they've moved it. The Holiday Inn is there, and that's where we're all staying. But they have an arena across the parking lot. They've moved the show there Okay. To allow for more tables, more people. So that's encouraging that they have a demand that apparently is high enough. So I'm excited to go this year for the first time and check that experience out. I've become a more of a guy of experiences, right? I want to go do things with the hobby, go to Burbank, go to Strongsville. I can go to a Dallas show whenever I want every couple of months and that's the old hat.
0: Do you have some concern that when you go to the Dallas show, it's every tenth table or so has something that will pique your interest? You go to Strongsville, every table is going to be worthy, pretty much every table is going to be worthy of you checking it out. And back in the early days when I went, not everybody had showcased. They just stacks of cards and, and right. an array of interesting stuff that was old and eclectic. So I think you're going to have a great time there.
1: Um Stoked. I've already mentally prepared myself to not be able to see everything. You never do anyway, but just you're right. In Dallas, it's easier to just skip a bunch of tables that you instantly look at and they don't appeal to your hobby interests. You don't need modern basketball or soccer or whatever it is. It'll be a challenge to get through it as best I can. I want to be social. There's a lot of people I know going to Strongsville this year. It's become like Dallas was early after the pandemic, where everybody wanted to come to Dallas. The Strongsville show this year feels like the people that I hang with, the vintage crowd, they want to go to Strongsville this year. We're making it a hey, everybody, let's go to Vent, let's go to Strongsville. And
0: you're talking about one side of the table, but on the other side of the table, the the vendors, the dealers, every one of them, Mike, is a potential future friend for you. Because they're going <laughs> to be kindred spirits. I mean, I suppose some of them will be younger, a bunch will be older. But it's the way it was in the old days, they, these were the veteran collectors that were selling their dupes. These weren't cards they picked up they don't know anything about. No, these are lovingly uh, handled, and some of them are in nice shape too. But the, these are dealers selling their trade and sales stock. And consequently, they can be way more open to trading, which I would encourage you to consider that. Okay, i got to
1: find some stuff to trade. Love, they're going to be guys, like you said, kindred spirits. Sure, great conversations with now they're them. not wait a minute they're
0: not texas
1: kindred spirits they're ohio kindred spirits. okay
0: so that don't play your texas ranger stuff <laughs> i just say they're old school baseball cleveland is really an original baseball town they're coming from around ohio and other places too but ohio is a great state for older collections
1: so i need to talk naplage away and that's going you know, back maybe a little farther than you
0: need to but How about
1: larry Doby, satchel page yep Bob Lemon, Bob Feller. Yep. I can talk that talk.
0: 54 (laughs) Indians. Just channel your 54 Indians.
1: 54, 49 Indians.
0: One of the greatest regular seasons of all time.
1: Yeah. I don't know if you got to listen to my conversation with Pat Turner. I thought you did an excellent job. And he was quite candid. And we talked a lot. We talked way more off the air afterwards than we did even for the episode. He was incredibly generous with his time because we found a connection. We both like the same kind of cards and we're sitting there showing cards to each other after just hey look at this this." and of course he is i have the same card just in a much lower grade or whatever but it's similar it's still kindred spirits there too i I think psa has nowhere to go but continue to grow honestly because grading's not going anywhere overall i think the overall pie is going to keep getting bigger of which psa will get their part sgc beckett will get their parts etc Where do you see the grading world going?
0: It's going to shrink or grow, Mike. I will say this. It's hard to imagine this right now, but it's not a simple matter to stay on top because then everybody's shooting for you. What I love about Nat is that he's tuned in because he's a customer. He understands the industry, and so I think they're in good hands. But every other grading company is setting their sights on, I want some of their pie. What PSA's done right Is that they've expanded. They figured out a way as an industry volume leader to train and hire additional staff that can grade and populate other offices in remote locations. That's powerful because I think that was a huge challenge for our old company when we were trying to add people because I think our training took longer and I think it leads to more strict or more specified grading. But That's a challenge there with PSA, keeping it simple. There's no 9.5s. That's just one less thing to worry about. And so next thing you know, they've got multiple offices opening up new markets in different
1: continents. By being in multiple locations, not only can you handle more cards and increase your volume, whether it's here or overseas, but you also have a new pool of workers to choose from. And I think that's always the biggest challenge is finding the right people for the job in a certain geographic area. If you pigeonhole yourself, you are... Stuck almost in it. You can only grow so big, right? Was that your biggest challenge? Let me during-
0: answer that in a different way. I don't think it was my challenges. My mindset, we built a big headquarters building and I wanted to fill it up. And it, it we actually built more than we needed. So I didn't think we'd need more people. And we never really did fill it up because the, the industry peaked at that point. But I wanted to create the esprit de corps and the team orientation of all of our employees. We had a couple of work from home kind of situations, but mainly it was people coming in, being at the office, the camaraderie. We had a basketball court in the middle of our building and all that stuff. So I really felt like that was part of the esprit de corps. And so to have another location on the West Coast or the East Coast or in Asia was not something... I didn't really want to do it. I wanted to make it work so that the cards were coming into Dallas. I did an episode about grading logistics and I realized the logistics of grading, we spent time making sure our system and processes were airtight once the cards got in the building. There's lots of cameras, a lot of uh, checks and balances, but until it gets into the building or after it leaves the building some bad things could happen. That was my, not pessimism, but probably realism that if we have an office in New Jersey or in uh, Los Angeles, that's another opportunity for transit. And you can insure it, but people don't want an insurance settlement when you lose their grail card. Yeah, they want the card. They want the card.
1: Yep. Yeah, I've had that happen more times than I wish to express out loud that i no, I just want the card. It, it, it can be even as simple. I buy something on eBay and it doesn't get to me for any number of reasons through the wonderful USPS or whatever. And uh, give me a refund. But I'm like, no, I wanted the card. I bought it because I wanted the card. That happens, sadly, occasionally. And that's just part of it. But Upset. I love that you built that. And I see your challenges with being in multiple locations and having to deal with the logistical.
0: See, that part of it, I was risk averse. And Nat Turner being a different generation and an entrepreneur to a much higher degree than what I was, saying this is a challenge that we can meet. This is part of scaling a business with a couple more zeros on it, or at least one more zero, let's say. But we had a sufficient, very nice business, I'm not complaining about that. But I didn't want to 10x my business, and I didn't need to. I liked it that the employees all knew each other. There wasn't like somebody working some other place that we'd ever met them or something. We'd have a holiday party and you knew the people's family and spouses and kids and
1: stuff. To me, if Nat wants his vision to come to reality, you got to silo the country. you got to take West Coast and Mid and and you go, all right, we have a Dallas office. They don't yet. Or a Kansas City office, somewhere in the middle of the country, Chicago. You basically draw little lines and say, everybody that's sending cards sends them here. You don't send them all to California and then have to ship them all over to these places. That doesn't make any logistical sense. I agree. Shipping them to one location and then farming them out to the different, let's call them satellite grading facilities would be perilous at a minimum.
0: I'm not just saying that because I wasn't going to have them send it here and then we were going to send it somewhere. They would have sent it somewhere, but they would be sending it to a group that we had less oversight about. Or or other things could go wrong. So yeah, I probably was a little risk averse. We were growing fast enough. I wasn't thinking, oh, we're stagnant. We weren't stagnant. We were growing, especially the grading was growing for uh, the time I was there. and It was a wonderful business, but there are problems with it because people really care about their cards and very minute, very small differences. They could say, this is not the card I sent in. They don't necessarily have a high res photo of when they sent it. Could have been damaged in the mail. If it would have been damaged inside our building we would have captured that and right. we had no reason to not report that but that's so overall- on, on a different scale he's thinking really big it's not a winner-take-all business where only one grading company will be in business but there's network effects like there are in some businesses you get an exponential benefit because you have so many people like you you want those slabs because there's so many of them then you could think I, I mainly want to get PSA slabs because that's what I have and enough people think that way that if you're the second or third or fourth place player even if you have your own registry yeah. you're not the primary registry the universal registry we'll see about that
1: You mentioned if you're on top people are coming after you they want to take your business they want to become number 1 I try to rack my brain on what it would take for a grading company to overtake PSA, I have a hard time coming up with anything that is reasonable. I don't. You don't? I, what it take.
0: I'm not going to say.
1: Oh. Because I want
0: my <laughs> old company to do it, but I have an idea. Nothing well, is ever in cement in this industry, even rookie cards. The definition of a rookie card and the extreme demand for a rookie card Will that always be the case? Will the definition be in cement? Nothing is completely calcified permanent. People could change, and there could be reasons, and I could come up with plausible scenarios how PSA could be. Of course, if I did it or somebody did it, PSA has enough of a war chest if they saw it coming, and they didn't realize it was a disruptive technology. They would buy it and bring it in-house. But
1: Me and Rich Klein are the only fossils in this industry, right? There's no fossilization happening. Rich, love Rich, so I can have fun with Rich. I'm pretty Um, close to a
0: fossil too. I like to do it, but I'm a little bit of a free thinker. When push comes to shove, I'm pretty conservative in the way I do things the way I've always done them.